welcome to the Miko Bits show, and I'm your host, Miko Bits. Today, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Yubo, so uh, really excited to have him on the show. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, his project in a moment. So Yubo, welcome to the Miko Bits show. Hi, hello, Miko. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, it's great. Great to have you on the show. Uh, so I guess the first and foremost, maybe you can introduce a little bit about yourself and your project. Yeah, so uh, I'm the founder of Parallel Finance. Um, and personally, I am a serial entrepreneur. Started my first uh, uh, you know, startup companies back in high school when I was 18. Uh, I built a company that helped children to learn financial habits. It is a robotic company. We manufactured the um, the products in uh, Shenzhen out of China. Um, and uh, the, the it was the first robot that connect to the internet, like Big Bang that connect to the internet and people can, like, children can learn financial habits through doing chores and homeworks and parents can reward them with virtual monies. Uh, I sold the companies after two years of running and then I went to school. Um, I spent some time at uh, a couple of VC firms and until I started my own uh, venture fund called A Decimal Capital in 2017. Um, so I guess been in crypto space, I've been in crypto space for the last five years, mainly in investments, and then eventually uh, started Parallel Finance in 2021. Um, I dropped out of Stanford to uh, run Parallel Finance, I would say. Uh, and I think that um, uh, it's uh, quite a quite an exciting journey since then. Yeah, I remember when we met and talked about your robotics, uh, you know, that's a that's a, an amazing journey and, you know, you've gone a really long way. So uh, let's go to parallel finance. So tell me a bit about what the problem that you're solving or tackling is. Yeah, so parallel finance is uh, a um, is the, you know, uh, we're trying to solve problems for uh, generally uh, DeFi adoption for um, normal consumers, right? And uh, we, you know, we envision that the long-term, you know, adoption needed uh, the the biggest problem. Some of the biggest problems includes, you know, the user experience, um, the fiat on ramps and off ramps, and then also in general, uh, deploy DeFi to support a wider range of assets, right? Because we think that um, in order for DeFi to be adopted, we have to connect to the real world. Um, so it's uh, it's a studio on a high level, uh, and then we're building uh, multiple protocols. Uh, for uh, the DeFi adoptions uh, based on the timing, right? So we started with solving the Polkadot um, chain uh, DeFi users uh, demands first. Uh, and then, you know, in the recent uh, couple months, we move into Ethereum and then start to solve uh, Ethereum DeFi users uh, demands. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. I definitely think Ethereum is uh, really significant and, you know, we're really excited about, uh, you know, the merge. Uh, what is your perspective on, you know, the merge and, you know, how do you feel about the Ethereum ecosystem and Polkadot? How would you kind of contrast the two? Um, I, I I really like the the merge. Um, I think that post-merge, the issuance reduced by 80% plus. That was probably the biggest economic change. At the same time, we transitioned toward, uh, and, uh, you know, environmental more, uh, we transitioned to a more environment, uh, environmentally friendly um consensus mechanism as the second largest cryptocurrency, I think is definitely uh, benefiting toward the entire, you know, earth. Um, regarding toward the the, um, the ecosystem difference, I think that Ethereum, um, I mean, Polkadot compared with ETH has always been uh, harder to, to get on. Um, you have to win an auction, you have to build on 
a little a more complicated tech stack. Um, so I would say that less adoption so far. Um, it uh, yeah. and, and then I think that on ETH, I really like this sort of composability, synchronous composability, and then the easy to use to deploy any set of smart contracts that you know you have uh, that you, you have in your mind, right? Um, and at the same time, I think that the the sort of the credible neutrality is something super important as a layer one. Um, so those are all of the you know features that I truly like. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, focusing on sort of the problems and focusing on things like mass adoption, like, you know, what do you think are the catalysts for mass adoption? Obviously, you mentioned things like user experience connecting multiple assets, right? But I'm really curious to get your perspective on, you know, when are we going to see increased adoption? What do you think the big catalyst will be? I think um, either a large financial crisis, malfunction of a banking system, uh, or <laughs> obviously better yield in the crypto world. Um, obviously, we need to have lower yield in a better um, micro environments. That that's actually very important. Nowadays, the you know the treasury yield is actually higher than the crypto yield, so it's very hard for people to adopt. I think the last catalyst would be uh, you know the use cases and asset. Uh, I think that currently all of the blockchain. I'm just talking about DeFi in general, right? All of the assets that DeFi supports are relatively speaking, more into, you know, a risk on asset or more speculative assets. Uh, in order for DeFi to be really adopted, we have to connect to real world asset, right? That means that we have to have identity uh, regulate regulation layers on board it so that we can uh, really, you know, use this technology. I truly believe that technology is 10 times better than 10 times better than the existing um, rails, tech rail. Um, the, the catalyst is Sometimes there's not one thing. It have to be something really strong that suddenly push everybody to realize that okay, actually crypto is an awesome way for the you know as an alternative financial system. Now everybody starts to move. So we have to have to see some like big event happens, or at least regulation opens for people to use their real assets. I think that would be the best scenario. How how do you see kind of real assets, right? Because obviously we're talking about the digital and symbolic, right? So you're talking about effectively a ledger entry that represents a real object, right? But then how do you ensure kind of solving this real world problem? So I think that uh, tokenizing a real world asset is just the first step. Um, you, if you think about all of the money and asset itself, value itself, it's a number in the database. Uh, the problem with existing database system is that it's not connected to each other. Um, it doesn't have any enforceable, executable, um, shared, uh, you know, environments such that, you know, we can provide global access. Um, I think that once you tokenize it on chain, the more important thing is to in embody smart contract capability so that uh, people can execute on uh, some sort of, um, you know, uh, code that, um, resembles the existing financial service, right? It could be lending, it could be trading, or it could be anything um, so that it is efficiently executed or trustlessly executed. So I think that what truly matters is that smart contract layer, the execution layer is where, you know, the, the magic happens. So I think not just putting the asset on chain, right? It's more about, okay, how do I use the smart contract to perform some financial actions? So that's where we can provide 10x better products than the existing system. Um, that's my personal yeah. opinion on this. That, 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. makes sense. So as far as things like parallel and the things you're building, like I'd love to kind of get a sense of any kind of numbers <laughs> or any kind of traction or any kind of, uh, you know, measurements, because that's always a great way of letting people know how things are yeah. going. Yeah. So, so parallel finance, we have over 100,000 plus uh, on-chain users on the platform. Um, we had around 400 million TVLs in DOTs. Um, and we are the largest uh, liquid staking money market and uh, also AMM solution on a Polkadot ecosystem. Um, and then we built out a whole suite. So I think that the product experience is definitely the best. Um, and then we also had some data regarding toward our token we just launched on Kraken. Um, and then what else? Um, the protocol is generating revenue as well. Um, the fees that we're charging. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. So how do you reconcile sort of the Polkadot side and the uh, ETH side of, of the business? Yeah, we are literally putting the, you know, the product group together into one uh, for, uh, products. Um, so when people need to use Polkadot, they have to, they just need to switch, click one button. If people are interested in our Ethereum product suites, switch back, there isn't both. Don't have to switch website, just under the same app, you can uh, switch your network. Um, and then we reuse the existing brand names, reuse the existing, um, user base community. Um, and actually, in fact, that based on some research, I think that 70% plus of the dot holders also hold ETH, and then they also use DeFi. So there's a pretty big overlap among the existing user base. So I think that, uh, moving to ETH is actually quite a, uh, important, um, move for us in the next stage of the company development. That's exciting. Uh, so one thing I always like to ask is kind of a little bit about sort of motivations, right? So, you know, I think founder mm -hmm. motivations, always super interesting. Like, I think you have an incredibly dynamic background. I think the robotics is super interesting. Obviously, Stanford is interesting. So, you know, how how, how do you see your motivation and inspira inspiration too? Whether it be kind of inspiration kind of uh, for blockchain mm. or, you know, any recent inspiration? Mm. I, first of all, like I, I measure uh, the impact toward our society into three dimensions. So first, how many people you can impact? Can it be over a billion people? Second of all, how long the technology can last? Um, can it last over multiple decades? Number three, how large of a lifestyle changes that you can push forward with the new solutions, right? That you are trying to push forward into the into the markets i think that um in the recent uh multi-years um you know obviously people are talking about automations uh, artificial intelligence robotics um new energy um and so on and so forth there's so many things um i'll say that uh, out of all of that i'm interested in a lot but particularly for uh, blockchain itself i think it has the potential to completely change the way that people perform uh, any trusted business and how people can uh, transfer value. Uh, it is entirely a new paradigm shift for the value things on the internet, right? On the connected network. Um, it impacts people from every single layers because people need to get finance right? and people need to get valuable um, items to each other. Um, so it's very important for the entire, I think, uh, society to be more efficient and to be more trusted. Uh, at the same time, I think that, you know, another really big motivation is that um, the sort of the existing 
um, the existing financial system to me seems uh, outdated. Uh, it's been there for hundreds of years without material changes. Um, I think that you know a lot of people talking about payments and all that. So to be honest, I think that payments has been already much better than before. But I'm talking about beyond payments, right? Just the traditional like you know banking systems. A lot of rules, a lot of um, inefficiency involved. So if we can just improve by you know multiple times, it would dramatically improve people's life. And I think that solving this problem is quite rewarding, and it's quite challenging and rewarding. Um, and number three, I think probably also related to some sort of personal experience. You know, in the last couple of companies, it's always been related to you know finance, right? Either venture capital or um, you know um, the robotic company for financial education. Um, so I think that this is a good use of my previous uh, exam, uh, you know, previous experience plus uh, resources uh, to really you know bootstrap a, a company that can provide values and make some changes. Yeah. Uh, I really liked your answer. One of the things I appreciate a lot is just the kind of scope, right? And I think the motivation, mm -hmm. kind of having relating it to kind of the impact and kind of the ambition, I think feels very good. And you know, I think it feels appropriate for your type of story, uh, you know, where you've been and the types of things you've done before. So you know, I, I like how it fits together. Uh, it's kind of mm -hmm. has a natural segue into. A uh, pretty common next question I like to ask, which is really related mm -hmm. to what I call the big idea, right? So okay. big idea, like I think you were talking about this kind of multi-decade impact. I, you know, I really like mm -hmm. uh, some of the things you were saying broadly about new energy, you know, and just these very uh, divergent fields like artificial intelligence, right? But I, I'd love to kind of, I definitely know that you have ideas about sort of the future of finance, mm -hmm. you know, so I'd really love to kind of get, you know, the big idea, you know, and, and, and the kind of big, the big idea behind what you're doing. Uh, so big ideas beyond uh, crypto, I guess, right? Or within I mean, the uh, it's really, it's really the big idea as tied to kind of your idea or how you want to kind of, you know, because obviously, mm -hmm. you know, your your main effort is parallel. And so looking at kind of how yeah, parallel uh, will play in a, in a bigger world. Yeah. So um, so let me talk about on the Ethereum side, because this is, uh, you know, our main efforts at this moment. Um, I personally believe in the next, uh, within the next 20 years, most of the valuable asset will be tokenized on chain there will be a you know, digital representation of what it is and uh, people perform all kinds of financial actions on top. Um, and I also believe that most of the worlds are non-fungible. So NFTs uh, in general is a good form to represent the ownership, to represent the, you know, the, um, the uh, position that people own. So um, what we are interested in to solve is the liquidity layer with the lending, you know, borrowing and lending problems in general. Um, what I see that will happen is that a generalized lending protocol that can support all kinds of assets um, and then giving the capability, giving, the, giving lenders the capability to select a set of collaterals that can be used to borrow their funds, right? Essentially, they can define their risk on a curve. Um, the generation one lending protocols, such as Avi and Compound, uh, is incredibly efficient, uh, but less scalable and less uh, customizable, right? You as a lender, you can only underwrite entire asset class in the group. Um, 
So I think that the 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 future version is extended version of what Avian Kampa is is doing are, are doing right now, which is again like lender select on a curve on a risk curve on what type of asset they are willing to underwrite, what what kind of models or underwriting models they are willing to give their lending their money to, uh, in an efficient way, right? You can reuse the unused money at the same time, while the borrowers they can propose their own underwriting model which includes how do you price the asset, how do you liquidate the asset when the liquidation happens, and so on and so forth. Um, so that essentially anybody can be their own bank to be able to borrow funds right, as they wish, as, as long as they can convince the liquidity provider, which is the lenders. Um, so that means that I, I think that we're just at the beginning of this new like uh, lending um, you know, exploration. Generation one support blue chip ERC-20 asset, but I think that there's plenty of new assets that needed to be supported. Right, from uh, metaverse asset toward NFTs, toward financial derivatives, toward uh, real world asset, anything, right? Cash flow or, or anything that you can actually uh, financialize it or anything you can use a token to represent, I think should serve to be more flexible in terms of the, uh, the capability to borrow and lend. So that's kind of one of the big ideas that we have. And then we're working toward this, this path at this moment. Yeah, that's exciting. Tell me about your vision around NFT. I think you mentioned, obviously, things like real world yeah. assets and uh, metaverse assets, but I'd love to kind of get more about your perspective on NFT. Yeah, so I think, um, again, like most of the worlds are non-fungible. Most of the things are non-fungible. So uh, art and collectibles is a tiny part of what the NFT can do. I think the most exciting or some of the exciting you know, uh, upcoming industries are ticketing, uh, music and entertainments, uh, user generated contents. Those are really interesting. And then um, people love to, you know, uh, you know, make their own, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, entertainment related asset into a specific holding so that they can transfer, they can do other uh, activities on top or they can do rental. Um, going forward, I think that is more interesting to see, you know, financial derivatives to be completely tokenized in the forms of a semi-fungible NFT, for example, a uh, bond, right? For example, a credit instruments. You have a specific, let's say, for example, a bond that expired at a specific date with a specific interest rate, right? So the holders of that bond is technically different than any other bonds, right? With different issuers. But at the same time, for the same, you know, face value, um, you know, uh, token, you, it's actually more fungible, right? You can trade within the same uh, collection. Um, and then the last one, I think in the long term will be absolutely uh, real world assets. Uh, so from real estate toward, uh, I think, uh, automobiles toward, uh, um, you know, carbon credits. And um, there are probably so many things that I can't really count it, but it's super exciting to put them on chain. Uh, just like how, you know, people put uh, informations on the internet, right? So other people can use, I think that those asset ownership must be put on chain so that it enjoys the most efficient ways to you know, uh, to met the, uh, you know, sort of the, the service demand, which is essentially people who have access capital want to, um, you know, lend it out. And then people who want to borrow want to, you know, people who, who have who have capital demands needed to borrow, right, to do their business that they wanted to achieve. Um, so how do we create a market to efficiently match everybody? Um, I think it's very important. Um, so I think that people have a kind of a wrong impression on what is NFT. It's just not really just the art and collectibles. There's so much more. Uh, to come, and um, and I think that maybe just in the next few years, this is going to be the biggest growth in terms of the whole, you know, crypto industry. And um, by the way, I forgot to mention about um, 
proper, um, you know, like individual properties and individual identities, uh, and then individual traits that can be represented by non-transferable entities, your name, your identity, your credentials, your uh, experience, anything, right? Just for example, on LinkedIn, right? Um, the people who claim to be graduated from uh, Stanford is actually almost two times larger than the people who actually graduated from Stanford. Um, and then <laughs> there's so many information that you can't really verify, right? Imagine that you can have an on-chain verifier from the trusted issuers. It could be the school, right? It could be whatever. And I think that our social fabric can be, the system can be much more efficiently improved. You know, we don't need to have this due diligence companies. You don't need to have this, you know, back on check uh, companies anymore. Um, you can literally just trust this blockchain to say that who they are, what kind of achievements they have. You can also verify whether the company is just making accounting fraud, right? Easily because they can, they can just double spend on chain, right? Cannot really make up numbers without actually cash coming in. Right, so on and so forth. And uh, I think in many other countries, except the US, I see many investors struggle with whether, you know, the, you know, the financials are true or not, right? Sometimes people boost up their yeah. numbers, boost up their user amount and so on and so forth. How can you verify that? You can't at this yeah, moment, yeah, it's very yeah. costly. That is, that is huge actually, right? Because when you think about something like a smart contract, right? Or even just a wallet or something very simple, right? Like when you look at on-chain evidence, right? You can just see inflow and outflow, right? So even if even if the thing behind it is a black box, right? You, you have very easy confirmation and you can have kind of a inbuilt audit verification, right? So I think that's, a, that's exciting. And I think that you're right. I think that obviously the cost of performing such an audit is very close. It's close to zero, right? Because it really just involves looking Right. And, you know, uh, it may be that uh, people who aren't very sophisticated maybe can be mm -hmm. deceived. But, you know, if, if you just go straight to, you know, EtherScan or you go <laughs> straight to kind of like, you know, reliable on-chain data, then then you can verify it. So I, th I think it's, uh, you know, that is very powerful. I think you were talking about things like bonds and semi-fungibility, right? So, um, you know, obviously from a disclosure perspective, like, you know, my fund, Gumi Cryptos, is invested in parallel and proud of it. Uh, you know, we also have a Solve protocol, which actually is pioneering a, new, a novel ERC standard for the semi-fungible token. And they're using it for things like bond issuance. So, you know, I think there's definitely innovation there in terms of financial assets. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of really interesting financial assets. Uh, Vega Protocol is headed towards mainnet, and they're another portfolio company working on essentially derivatives. So that's another financial asset. Uh, we we're talking about identity, right? So I think Lit Protocol is another one of our portfolio companies doing really interesting work with identity. I think you were talking about things like credentialing, you know, things like Stanford students and things like that, you know, that those kind of use cases are really intriguing because in a sense, like they do require, I think, a binding to some kind of stable real identity, right? Because I think that if you just have floating wallets, like let's say I have a wallet and let's say I'm a graduate, you know, so I'm, I'm a, I went to graduate school at Yale University, so I would have a certificate in there, right? But like in theory, someone could buy the whole wallet from me. Right. And then they would be a graduate uh, as well. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's it's, you know, there has to be some kind of provable identity or consistent identity, you know, and obviously maybe protected by privacy. So, you know, I, I think there's there's definitely a lot of infrastructure that we need to build. Exactly. Yeah. So 
the wallet is not the identity again like the the wallet it just proves yeah. that you know partially that this is you but it doesn't prove that who is this wallet owner right think about this so we got to actually Correct. connect the wallet public key with a specific identity right together such that yep. uh, when you need to verify who you are you can use this private public key to prove that this is you once you lost the connection for, for whatever reason someone still or somebody borrowed from you then you know the original owners of the you know the original identity owner which is the person can reclaim right to some trusted parties that um you know rebuild a new private public key private public key set to connect with the identity um so i think that that is really in in demands right um yeah, again yeah, I, yeah. I think that That's... the future the long the, the biggest thesis for the long you know next 50 years or actually like 50 to 100 years will be um first automations everything should be more automated um and then second will be um you know like basically the um what do i say that words just come up with that words um the capability to um improve the um, information efficiency right? basically everything on the internet right i think that is another really big trend so all of the information uh with on the internet, which is internet itself, right? On, online, which is internet itself. Well, actually, I, I remember. So the connectivity, which is like putting everything onto a network that more efficiently being shared. Um, so I'm talking about like valuable asset then perfectly blockchain, everything on top. And then, you know, we also need to have a trusted environment to execute everything, right? Which is the smart contract and then, you know, the blockchain that can power that. And I think that when you combine all of them, uh, you're going to see a more efficiently run a society in general. So, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you yeah, do, yeah. I button. do. Yeah, I, I like your thoughts. I definitely think automation is, is gigantic. Uh, so it's very big. I think relating to things like NFT, uh, uh, middleware infrastructure and things, you know, we, we, we also have a, in our portfolio, we have re-NFT, which is sort of NFT rental. And then also this thing called Cyan, which is actually, uh, it's a really interesting product. It's sort of uh, basically... Mm -hmm. Uh, buy now, pay later, which I think is a funny, you know, and it turns out that there's some really interesting financial dynamics around buy now, pay later, because uh, especially with speculative yeah. assets, right? So it's, it's, it's really easy to do with kind of physical e-commerce assets, but like the asset itself yes. actually acts as collateral for itself, right? But I think, you know, so the, but the problem of course, is that, uh, you know, price volatility is a, is a pretty major issue uh, in these types of assets. I think it works with physical kind of hard goods, you know, but even the good news about digital assets though is repossession is easy, right? Which is like, if you know, if you owe money on your car, then you actually have to send an actual human to go get the car, you know, which is pretty hard to do, right? But a digital asset, at least you can transfer ownership based on smart contracts. So I don't know what your thoughts are about kind of like uh, these types of use cases. You mean basically like the real world um, connectivity, right? How do you ensure that the on-chain um, actions being taken in the real world? Yeah, like, like so exactly, because there's two sides, right? I think one side is basically how do you register a real world asset and make sure it's real, right? But then the second one becomes things like when when a real world asset's ownership changes, right? You actually have to then enforce that change in the real world, right? Like if it's if if the ownership changes digitally, 
right? Then the person can claim ownership, right? So, you know, does that mean that the law will recognize digital ownership, right? Of the, of the physical object, right? Because in that case, someone can show up at your house and if they can prove ownership of your house, so they can kick you out. Yes, that should be the case. Um, I think that is more efficient, right? So if you got liquidated, then liquidator can take over your house, right? Whatever. Um, I think that, um, <laughs> ah, scary. a special, yeah, there, there must be a, a more, uh, specialized Oracle exist so that we can keep the real world asset off chain, um, information in sync asset property in sync, the attributes of the asset in sync with the on chain attributes of a specific asset or NFTs. Um, that process I'm talking about in general, right? That is the, uh, the, uh, the, the connectivity layers or the synchronous, uh, connectivity layers that keep the state of an asset, uh, synchronous, um, in order to achieve this, I think that depends, really depends on the industry and use cases for, um, some use cases we need to rely on centralized, uh, parties to do so. Um, and for some yeah. use cases we actually relies on more decentralized in, indiv individuals, right. To check the properties and then uh, to give you the updates because the resource allocation of a centralized party may be not efficient toward, you know, everything. Let's say, well, you know, it you feels like this, it feels mm -hmm. like something like physical custody produces really, really complicated use cases, right? Like, let's say for example, if there's an NFT that represents ownership of a house, right. And okay. let's say now that a hacker gets the NFT, right? So now mm -hmm. can the hacker show up with the police and can the hacker say, no, I'm the real owner and that's the mm -hmm. fake, right? And then, and then the police will side with the hacker, right? So like, I'm trying to figure right. out like how, how, how to make these use cases easy because, you know, that becomes a really interesting use case. Yeah. So there's a distinction between the, again, the public key and then identity. The NFT is linked to the identity. It's not linked to the public key. So even if you are publicly mm. being hacked and then your mm. NFT can transfer, as long as you're, yeah. you are you, you know what I mean? You are you and I you're see. supposed to be you, right? Then yeah. there is actually no way that a hacker can enforce real world actions unless they do identity fraud, which is another big problem, right? Um, so I think sense. that, that makes any sense. Needs to be connected to identity, not a key. The key is not, a, not, is not the, the public key is not the core, um, verification layer. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So there, there ought to be, there ought to be things more like biometric or there ought to be additional, uh, multiple factors. I think it gotta be multiple factors. Biometrics is good. Um, sometimes AI is so smart. So real that you might be outsmarted by AIs if someone really want to manipulate. I think, you know, multiple factors involved with your face ID, your whatever, you know, multiples, just to make sure that you are actually you. Um, I'm just really get scared about the, the progression of AI. The speed of growth is actually always constantly, you know, uh, beyond our expectation. So my thesis is that as long as someone who develop a code that can give AIs a, 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 a reality, a sense of reality and see themselves in the virtual mirror, then re the AIs will have self-consciousness. And at that moment of time, anything can happen and it's going to be out of our control. And it's technically not yeah. that hard to do, right? So if you look at the, 
some examples when you put a mark on an elephant. And once the elephants see the mark, they will start to wipe it out right in the mirror. Um, and same thing, you know, if you can just develop that same mirror for AIs, then they will understand it. And then it's actually pretty easy for AI to, you know, really uh, become <laughs> more like pretend to be a, a, a real humans if you're just purely talking about some online identities plus cameras. That's so easy. Yeah, 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 I yeah. And I, I agree. It becomes really, really impressive, right? And really, really interesting because when you start to think about the advancements and things like deepfake technologies, right, then the ability mm -hmm. for an AI to present like a real face <laughs> through a webcam, you know, and to basically be able to pretend to be a human is pretty strong, right? It becomes very, very strong, right? They're already kind of able to sort of get close to sort of Turing test level chatbot, right? But, you know, it's so fascinating thinking about these users, right? Because one of the things that's amazing, so I don't know if you saw, but like uh, A16Z invested in a security company called Sardine. And one of the mm -hmm. techniques that they use is biometric kind of, um, they use really complicated biometric factors. Like for example, if you're typing your social security number, right? So what they what they mm. look is they say okay hacker a hacker will type the number slowly because they don't have it in their memory mm -hmm. and a real person will type it quickly because it's in their memory right but if you think about the future in the future you could actually the hacker could actually use uh, some kind of uh, biometric filter you know that that kind of simulates someone typing from memory right cuz you know in a sense when you think about this concept of a ai based adversary Right. Like the adversary will basically do whatever it takes. Right. So, you know, it'll it can it can simulate someone who's already memorized the number, you know, so it's a, it's it's super amazing to think about, like where this goes, you know, especially as you talk about, like, you know, very, very sophisticated uh, AIs, you know, and, and potentially as threat actors. So it's a, it gets it gets the game gets really I, interesting. Yeah. I almost feels like just talking about like 50 to 100 years down the road, once we have you know, self-aware human right uh, AI robots, um, it is almost impossible to distinguish between real humans and then the deep fake AI. I'm talking about physical existence, human right AIs, unless you cut them open, right? To see whether you have a, you know, a um, uh, neurons connected brains or it's all computer chips. So if that is the case, then I think that is going to be actually a huge problem because yeah, I mean, Material science is so much, you know, so much uh, advanced and um, what biometrics that AI cannot mimic, right? Almost everything. So how can you tell for sure? And they can pass Turing test, right? So whatever the CAPTCHA is doing, right? You know, testing whether you can select the, the, the traffic lights from the pictures, that's too easy. Yes, um, yes. That's very so, easy. Uh, and also, yes. you're saying- No, it's fascinating. It's fascinating because- I mean, when you combine deepfake technology with things like mocap, right? So mocap is basically like, <clears throat> you know, I think the most, the most uh, sort of easy, sophisticated one is like webcam-based motion capture, right? So what happens is, is that a yeah. normal human could drive an avatar, right? And the avatar is mimicking mm -hmm. their facial expressions, everything else, right? So if you combine that, obviously right now, the technology for rendering deepfake is actually like asynchronous, right? So it's hard to drive mm -hmm. a human-like avatar realistic, you know, in real time. Like it just, we're not there yet. But like, 
we're not that far, honestly, you know, so when we get to the stage where we're there, you know, hum a human will be able to drive an avatar that looks like another human in real time, you know, with real expressions, you know, real voice changing, you know, real, every so, it, you know, at that point, then a machine for sure can drive something like that, right? For sure, a machine can drive, uh, you know, a, mo a mocap avatar and, and per provide sort of a perfect digital online uh, impression of a human, right? So that, that, that's, it's not, I, it's, it sounds like really crazy science fiction, but like, you know, it, that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of tech that's like starting to get better and better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I'm curious yeah, about what so. your thoughts I, I... are about, about machine creativity, especially things like, uh, stable diffusion, uh, you know, the, the things like, uh, Dolly, like the, these kinds of like, uh, you know, sort of machine creativity things. I mean, it really depends on how you think about creativity. Uh, in my opinion, I think that creativity is just a, um, a arbitrary combination between two unrelated, uh, uh, construct of knowledge or concepts. Uh, so I, I actually don't believe that there are original, you know, like, uh, creation, every single new creations have to be the combination of some components from your conscious or subconscious. Um, so for example, like when you think about the invention of iPhone, right? Every single component of iPhone exists somewhere. You have the touch panel, the TP, you have, you know, the, you know, the, the iPod, right? You have the, you know, the app store concept in potentially, you know, in the real life, right? Your, you know, a physical store. So in, in the end, it's the, you know, the neural connectivities make them together. Um, so in the end, it's really the uh, algorithms, right? That connect all of those unrelated pieces to create a concept of a knowledge that actually physically doable and makes sense in a business case where a solution can solve a specific problem for a set of customer. Um, so in my opinion, I think that AI will uh, at some points surpass dramatically human creativity. Uh, one, because uh, the access of vastly higher levels of information, the faster speed of combining informations, right? To see whether that specific new creation makes sense or not. And then I think that number three, obviously in general, like faster uh, capability to verify whether an idea makes sense or not. So I think that in the end, uh, the creativity will surpass the human levels. And, and then um, it's a correlation between how much more information they can do, how much faster they can think like humans, and then, um, and then how of a insensitive um, logical layers that they have, right? Because you, you can't really, um, human doesn't really, you know, process things 100% on, you know, one plus one equals to two, not the math, but sometimes is abstractly, it makes sense, right? Um, I think that the, the, the ability to think beyond numbers, the ability to make logical conclusions on a little more complex and uh, um, sort of, um, you know, like complex uh, logics and then then at that time, the creativity is much, much bigger. I, I think that we're just also, again, like seeing the tip of an iceberg of what um, machine-based uh, creativity can do, right? Dali is a, I think it's really simple way of like, like creating artworks. That's what it is. But, you know, going forward, like writing code, 100% doable. Um, 
and then writing novel, right? And then, um, you know, preparing for AdWords, um, you know, like marketing languages, easy task, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Much. They're already, wow. they're already doing like tools like Jasper, uh, pseudo writer, like there's already like lots of free yeah. text tools that are, that are pretty adequately writing. You know, I spoke with someone who was in the search engine optimization business, who very much was a strong user of GPT-3 to generate landing pages, right? Mm -hmm. So he's like, well, let's, let's generate like 300,000 landing pages for your website, you know? And it was just like, okay, wow. You know, like really, really like hardcore. And, and you know, yeah. I think it's, the thing that's really amazing is that when you go back to the mm -hmm. search crawler, right? Google used to read this page and be like, this is bad, right? And a lot of the olden days mm -hmm. search engine people were using offshore non-native English speakers to make landing pages because they could crank out like huge low cost mm -hmm. pages and the crawler would discount them because the crawler would say, oh, this is bad English mm -hmm. or, you know, so the crawler would give them a yeah. minus, right? But with, but with something like yeah. GPT-3, like the grammar is better. It's like superhuman. Like they don't, they don't ever make a mm -hmm. weird mistake where they put the comma in the wrong place, you know? So it's sort of, it's sort of insanely good, you know? And, and so it, in a way it's adversarial, right? In the sense that there's generative, you know, like you're generating text and the crawler is trying to see if you're human or not and failing, right? So I think from a, search engine optimization perspective, we've already hit the Turing test. Like the, the crawl, the crawlers can't tell. So that, that's, 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 you know, that's right. a threshold, yeah. but you know, this is, this is exciting right. stuff. I love talking about this stuff. Um, you know, what I wanted to do is sort of loop back to sort of parallel and talk mm -hmm. about roadmap. Right. So, you know, yeah. I'd love to kind of like poke into like, what are some near term, roadmap items, you know, to, for the viewer listener and, you know, see, see if we can get them uh, yeah. excited about, you know, upcoming uh, milestones. Yeah. Yeah. So in the next uh, three months, uh, we're going to launch our products in the next 12 months, we want it to be the biggest uh, NFT financialization protocol. Um, and then in the next uh, 36 months to 48 months, uh, we wanted to be, um, you know, bringing additional asset onto uh, the whole blockchain space, right? Uh, including real world assets, metaverse asset, and supporting as many type of uh, assets and as many type of uh, functions and logics uh, as we can, right? Uh, in the next uh, probably um, 120 months, uh, which is 10 years, I think that, you know, again, like our goal is still to bring uh, a billion people on board with our platform. So uh, short-term and long-term roadmap. Wow. I love that. And, you know, one of the things that's wonderful is really, you know, because I, I, what I like, what I'm always enjoyed about talking with you, right, is that like, there is an, there's this thing that I call for entrepreneurship, I call it heaven and earth, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, like, to me, like, obviously, the heaven concept is like, you can talk about sort of, uh, you know, machines that are producing indistinguishable output from humans, you know, so it's obviously Turing test level machines, but in a way, like the thing I always appreciate is that you have a grounding in execution, right? Product execution, right? Mm -hmm. Like robotics, you know, so very hands-on. So I, I really appreciate because that's the kind of entrepreneurship I like the most, right? Which is that you can, you know, mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of people that can talk about dreams, you know, but I think true. The other side is also true. Uh, it's less, it's, it's a little rarer, right? Which is people who can really, really execute, um, but they mm. can't really dream big. 
you know, so I think the combination is a really interesting and, and powerful. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, like life is very short. I'm talking about, you know, around seven, 20 months left. Um, that is that I can do in, in an active in an active years. Every month represent, you know, 14 basis point of, you know, active life. And then uh, every week is around, you know, three to four basis points. So I think that if you think about life is more of a ongoing strategy game. Um, the only resources that you cannot increase is your time, right? Um, I think that um, it's very important to maximize uh, the, the type of impact that you can do to this you know, entire society. And so um, thinking, thinking harder challenge give us a better shot on lending somewhere other than you know, a small set of goals. So that's personally my opinions. And then uh, you might also be able to tra attract better talents. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I do. I, and build. I do. I do love that. And, you know, just, I think on a closing note, like, you know, it's, it's so, uh, this really, if you were to say a single thing that this show is about is it's really about people, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, if anything. And so to me, like, this is a great, way for you to kind of provide your closing comments, right? Because I think that not only are you sort of like, you know, providing some inspiration for the audience, but in a way, like you're also giving them tools to think about the time that they have, you know, and, and, and how, how they can make uh, change and impact in the world. So, you know, I, I really, uh, I do want to encourage everyone, you know, carpe diem, <laughs> you know, and make the most of it. I think when you connect it back to your story, right? Like, you know, you, you went from, you know, doing robotics in, you know, in China, you came to Stanford, you know, and then, you know, you, you left Stanford to do this one. So like, you know, it's, you definitely have this kind of urgency and you have this kind of ambition that I think is, is pretty rare and uh, exciting. So really appreciate uh, you coming on the thank show. You. Yeah. Thank you so much for okay, having me. Okay. Thanks so much. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye.